Welcome to Typology. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we want to congratulate Ian on the success of his new book. The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, has sold 100,000 copies in its first year. You can go to Amazon, iTunes, or wherever your local books are sold to grab a copy. Now, we've got a great show coming up for you today with new guest Michael Ware. But before we get to that, I want to share a few things with you. If you're new to the Enneagram and want to learn more about it, you can go to the podcast page at www.typologypodcast.com. That's www.typologypodcast.com and download a free chapter from Ian's book titled Finding Your Type. Also, while you're on the Typology website, visit the About page and take the introductory Enneagram assessment to start your journey toward identifying your Enneagram number. Now, as promised, I'd like to give a shout out to a few of our Patreon supporters. Renee Lockie, Laura Dionisio, Amy S. Grant, Bobby Samuelson, Michaela Biondi, Sarah Ballou, Kate Harding, Alex Vaughn, Grace Munyard, Amy Jo Couchman, Jaina Wiebe, Holly Kirtley, Nathan Johns, and Vicki Krebs. All of your contributions are what helps make this podcast possible, so we give a big thank you to each and every one of you. And now here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology Tribe, this is Ian Cron, and today... I can't tell you how excited I am to have our guest, Michael Waron. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael is arguably the, the leading expert and strategist at really the intersection of faith politics and American public life. He and I spent a couple of days together recently at a conference in Florida where both of us were speaking, and he was brilliant absolutely brilliant and uh, i know he's going to bring uh, so much of his insight and wisdom to a really important conversation around politics personality and power now what gives what gives michael the you know kind of the curriculum vitae to, to speak into this michael directed faith outreach for obama's 2012 re-election campaign and he served as one of the youngest white house staffers during Obama's first term. Uh, he's a remarkable human being. And Michael, oh, let me say this too. My gosh, I, I can't believe it. Michael is also the author of a remarkable book, a, a book I love called Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. Michael, welcome to the show, friend. Hi, Ian. It's good to be on. Good to be with you. Yeah, man, I'm delighted to to have you on. Uh, listen, let's let's start out here. Knowing this is a, a, a hot button topic, I want to be as neutral and objective, as kind and as humble as I can be as we as we talk about this topic. And um, I I don't want it to be a, a, a sort of a commentary or opportunity for me to talk about my politics, but just simply to talk about this matter of personality power and politics in in a in a in as not a disinterested way as I, as I possibly can i'm going to jump right in on a question <laughs> what number on the enneagram do you think obama is based on your experience in the white house huh you know i think you know potentially potentially a one i mean he does he does have that sort of sense of cool that that sense of uh, 
groundedness that uh, that I found to characterize one. So I, I think I think a one could make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are aspects which you could say maybe a maybe a nine, but I, I don't think that's a good fit. If, if I had to pick, I'd say I'd say probably a one. Did he have trouble uh, making decisions and sticking to him? <laughs> well, you know, there are definitely uh, points and counterpoints to that one. You know, a point in that regard would be, you know, his pursuit of health reform. And so that is something where, you know, everyone, including his own chief of staff, was saying, you really ought to back down from this. This really isn't looking great. Uh, you really might want to change your approach here. But he, he kept on it for 18 months. For mm-hmm. um, Now, the, the counterpoint would be, you know, infamously uh, the, the Syria decision where he drew the red line and then decided not to act on, on the commitment. I, I think what's, what's difficult sometimes looking at political decisions is uh, uh, obviously we have uh, journalists doing incredible work. We have, you know, politicians who try and communicate to the public with varying degrees of sort of integrity. But th- there's just stuff that we don't know about. You know, what's driving decisions? So, you know, uh, new intelligence comes in all the time. Uh, new factors actually emerge that would lead to different sort of decision-making processes. But but he was he was generally someone who. Um, who kept a North star in mind and, and tried to try to keep heading in that direction. So I've read, I've read, you know, books and, and, you know, um, going back even to his, uh, his memoir, uh, uh yeah. or personal history, you know, he was a person who was able or is able to see everybody's point of view. Yeah. Is that is that true? And absolutely. Yeah. Now he was he was often criticized for not going out and leaving the White House to go talk to other people about their <laughs> point of view. Uh, but he, I'm told, uh, and at least I've read that 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 was a gift that he had. And of course, yeah. that can lead to, you know, not being able to to make a decision. You kind of get stuck. Uh, in the in, at the the center of of all those opinions. Well, so that was the major critique of the Clinton uh, of Bill Clinton's White House that he would have these unwieldy debates in the Oval Office, uh, and he'd call up people after meetings to hear other people's opinions, and that he'd never um, be able to. He was he was often unable to implement implement a process that would lead to a. A decision. He just he, he was too, too you know quote unquote too thoughtful of a of a person. He considered too many aspects. Um, I, I think um, I think Obama was aware of that tendency. I, he has complained sort of. He, he he complained you know privately during the white uh, during his time as president and a little bit more after about. Um, well, he said that since he left the White House, he's enjoying just being able to have conversations that don't need to lead to a decision point. So, so he his was sort of on the span of sort of presidents. He he was certainly better in that regard to 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 Bill Clinton, of of whom that was one of the primary sort of ways that people would characterize his the way that he operated as as president. Okay, so let's just talk about Clinton for a second. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of thinking about type and person, uh, you know, personality type and presence, and I am speculating. But 
I don't, I think when you're talking about presidents, these are people who are leading a country. And I think, I think it's fair and it's good for us to observe these folks to discuss what we think their type is uh, so we can have both compassion for them and understand how they are leading and how they are a reflection of, of our culture. So I'm willing to go out on a limb uh, to to speak you know, my mind about what I, I perceive based on only on observation, what I think these different types are. Many people say that they think Bill Clinton was a three. Okay, Mm -hmm. he was a, you know, slick willy. He was the guy that, you know, um, was able to be a chameleon to get out there to work a room uh, that he had all some of the hallmark features of of threes. Winning was so important to him. Uh, Looking like a success, never like a failure, all all Mm -hmm. that stuff. I would argue, as some other Enneagram teachers would, that he was a nine. And hmm. let me tell you why I think he was a nine. And you tell me if you if this resonates with you. Nines don't like conflict. Right. And we know that they avoid conflict at all costs. They don't want to be disconnected in relationships. Uh, they want, you know, uh, to maintain that sea of inner peace. Now, I've heard from well, actually read uh, in his uh, a number of his biographies that he really hated conflict. Uh, that he would, when he did vetoes in Arkansas, he would hmm. slide them under the door of whoever the registrar or whoever they go to at night after hours so that he didn't have to have conflicts over what he had decided to do. Um, his chief of staff, right, uh, Panetta, was that what it's Podesta Panetta? I always get it confused. Uh, yeah, yeah, Panetta, Leon yeah, he, Panetta. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he said that the whole empathy thing was not slick. I mean, that whole thing about his uh, charisma was not about what we would say was three stuff that really it's just that he could get into a room with five people and they felt so understood and heard that they actually assumed that he was agreeing with their position, though he never said so. (laughs) And, and, and Panetta would just sort of shake his head uh, after people left the room. He said, do you know we're going to get in a lot of trouble here? Because you're going to have to make a decision and disappoint four people, all of whom think you agree with them. And, and uh, because he was able to see everybody's position, he was an incredible mediator and a deal maker. Uh, and, you know, who else but a peacemaker could have solved Bosnia and Northern Ireland? <laughs> I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. I could go on. I mean, he was notorious, for example, for eating a tr- like whole sleeves of donuts in yeah. front of people <laughs> under stress. That is nine behavior, right? Yeah. Narcotizing <laughs> under. I mean, so anyhow, those are my thoughts about about Bill Clinton and uh, what his his type was. And I'll just say this: he's married to a one, <laughs> and we'll come back to that. I think Hillary Clinton is a one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I personally think, and we'll, we'll circle back to this, I think you're right uh, that, that Obama is a nine, but I think he has a very strong one wing. And, mm-hmm. and he's married to a one. I think Michelle's a one. Does that sound right to you? Or Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. That makes sense. I, I, again, it's one of those things that, that I, uh, that it's interesting to think, think more deeply about it, but, but I, I think that's definitely possible that Michelle would be, uh, Michelle would be a one, but I'm actually not sure the, the president's, uh, a, a nine. I, I, I think, um, too, too many, too many times and too many times in his career, did he have to 
go into uh, contentious uh, spaces and know that people were going to disagree with him. I actually lean more towards one, uh, uh, more towards a one for him, um, which is uh, which is interesting. But but I, I could definitely see Michelle as a one. You know, the problem though is that. You know, with with public figures, there's an additional, I think, especially with politicians, there's an additional filter, that behavior that we interpret in uh, sort of interpersonal interaction, I think has one meaning, but politicians are sometimes seeking peace is a form of self-aggrandizement. You know, sometimes putting on a, a perception as a policy wonk uh, so something of, of a five, you know, think of like Paul Ryan. I think Paul Ryan presents himself as a five and maybe he is a five, but there's also great political value to pre- presenting yourself as a five. Um, uh, and so, uh, you, you know, it's it's interesting to think about how, uh, how how politics can maybe distort how we how, how we how we look and and analyze sort of sort of individuals yeah so you're you're raising a good a good point and one that i want to underscore here which is i can't i can't see the invisible motivations driving people's behaviors their thoughts Mm. and their feelings all i can do it is on the basis of observation and 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 history uh and so i i give that disclaimer uh but i still want to talk about it because i think these are people in, in positions of incredible power, I want to try to understand them. And for me, trying to understand them through the lens of the Enneagram, whether it's accurate or not, is helpful, you know? Absolutely. Um, I also believe, by the way, that Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford, and Eisenhower were all nines. And I think we have a ton of nine presidents because I think that they are, when they're healthy, uniquely qualified for that position everyone thinks threes would be or eights would be but i'm telling you i think nines when they're Mm. healthy make incredible political leaders i think so like you said regarding you know bill clinton and it's you know something we're we're lacking now in our politics generally which is um politicians who can and want to give americans even those who disagree with them the impression that they're being heard and, and the, the impression that they're understood. Instead, a lot of the driving impulse in our politics today is to be content with and even promote <laughs> and sort of take actions that would uh, accelerate or exacerbate uh, section uh, broad swaths of the country um, uh, not feeling heard, broad swaths of the country and, and thus empowering uh, you know what we call like the base of your voters. So, so in, in other words, in, in uh, instead of like uh, saying you know I'm the president of all people or I represent my whole district and you know it's important to hear and represent you know all views to the best of my ability. Instead, we have a politics right now um, that seeks to convince sort of uh, politicians, voters uh, that they're being heard. Uh, because of the people that are not being heard. In other words, see, I'm siding with you, not them. They're angry with me because I'm fighting for you. Like that kind of, you know, a, a more populist rhetoric is, you know, not sort of what we think of as nine type of rhetoric. Um, and we could use a lot more of a nine kind of outlook. <laughs> I think I think you're you're right. And so let's talk about our, our current president. Yeah. 
Michael, just give me give me a little bit of your your thoughts about where we are um, about about the president about about his personality and how he's leading the country maybe through the lens of the what you know of the enneagram. What what are your thoughts about Donald Trump? So so I, I am not I'm not sure. Uh, President Trump has a lot of uh, exposed nerve endings. He is um, self-involved. He is um, has definitely definitely tendencies uh, uh, towards bullying. Um, and uh, there's a a scattered a scattered nature to the way that he operates um that is less common among politicians um there is less of a um and that you would think would be less common among successful business people but but his public profile as president uh, has been has been pretty disordered Mm -hmm. um and he is you know uh he is the opposite of a of a nine in the way that we were just <laughs> just talking. He he seems he seems very content now with people not liking him. He wants everyone to like him, but he seems very content to operate <laughs> in a, in a way that would bring about scorn from from a large uh, uh, from large uh, swaths of the people that he's he's trying to appeal to. I'm not sure, you know, Nixon. Definitely had moments where uh, he was very emotionally exposed. I think you could say the same about Bill Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was someone who, um, you know, was an emotionally available president. But, but I'm not sure that we've ever had someone um, that was pulsated with this kind of emotional energy as and sort of exposure as as Donald Trump. Yeah, I l- let me just say this. Again, this is speculation. Looking from a distance, don't know his interior motivations. Okay. Yeah. If someone pressed me, and by the way, I hear this every time I do a workshop. The one of the first questions I get is, "What number do you think Donald Trump is?" I mean, it's just people are fixated on this guy's personality. You know, we we wait for Monday morning. What if what tweets are going to come out? What what behavior, thoughts? What's 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 going to happen here? So. You want me to tell you what I what I think is? Oh, please, yeah. Uh, All right. So, I've never said this publicly, really. And so, uh, again, with some humility, I I I don't know. But my based on observation, I'd say that he's a low functioning eight uh, with a one to one subtype. Hmm. Uh, And I can explain that. But I think he's an eight lacking self awareness uh, and. Um, This is not a reflection of my politics, by the way. This shouldn't give people the impression, oh, he's a Democrat or he's a liberal. It's just I'm observing as a therapist, someone who knows the Enneagram. I just think he's a low functioning, uh, low functioning eight. What what do you what do you think of that when I say that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, his is one of the clearest cases. I I mean, I mean, I I think the the fact that he's uh, he's an eight is is. makes makes a ton of sense a ton of sense to me um i'm interested in in what you uh and what you mean uh uh, specifically on on what the one subtype brings to that oh the one-to-one subtype yeah yeah well he has some characteristics that that subtype 
can be particularly vengeful. Um, first of all, he's combative. He's domineering. Uh, he can be vengeful. And as you said, he can be a real bully. And there are lots of examples of this. Uh, when he's triggered, like any low-functioning eight, he goes on the attack, and I'm just he takes revenge with his critics. Uh, there's a lack of empathy there that uh, can be sort of normal with low-functioning eights. And so listen to me, all you eights out there. I want you to know before I go any further. I'm talking about a low-functioning eight here. A high-functioning eight leader is freaking Martin Luther King. So don't feel bad. I'm talking about a specific eight uh, and who I think is low-functioning, okay? So this is not characteristic of every single eight, okay? So don't feel bad about it. Um, you know, he attacks the press. Recently went after Steve Bannon. I mean, uh, he's very, very sensitive to betrayal and to people who are disloyal. These are mm. all features of, of, of one-to-one eights, I think. And I think, uh, obviously... Uh, you know, he sees the world as a hostile place where the weak get crushed and the strong survive. And he's determined not to uh, to give any impression of weakness or vulnerability. So that's one feature. Uh, I've got a bunch that I could go into here as to why I think he's a, a low functioning. Eight. You want to what do you think? What do you what what features do you think he has that that would indicate that to be true? The combative nature of his his presidency, the willingness to make. Uh, what he views to be self-evident sort of declarations and sort of force his way um, through politics, which can be a very useful, I mean, obviously a very useful uh, trait in politics can also leave a lot of damage in its wake. Um, I I definitely think he's, he's an eight there, but there are some sort of like six tendencies that sort of emotional neediness that's there a big sort of through line of Donald Trump's not just career, but his life. Um, And McKay Coppins, who's a reporter for The Atlantic, has done really significant reporting on this, is how important it has been to Donald Trump to be viewed as successful and to be given entree and recognition as uh, part of the elite. And so um, he was looking even, you know, as he was starting his real estate empire, uh, he always felt like he was looking from the outside in at like the Manhattan powerhouses. He always felt like they're just he wasn't get, getting invited to the same parties that other people were. He wasn't getting invited to join the boards that other people were. And so he sort of built up his own empire as sort of a way to force himself into those circles. You know, f- frankly, uh, just per- speaking personally here, it's hard to imagine someone reaching such a height of influence and public affirmation and be so insecure and so needing for additional <laughs> affirmation. You, you know, the way that he needs to constantly profess how successful he is, um, I think to the average person seems ridiculous given how clearly successful he's been. <laughs> it's like, can't you look at your name on, on a building? Isn't that sufficient? Uh, uh, as opposed to needing those sort of plaudits from uh, nearly every 
exchange he seems to have. So, you know, he holds these cabinet meetings and his own cabinet that he handpicked, you know, will go around in these awkward sort of press availabilities saying what they like about Donald Trump the best. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unusual. And, you know, to me, again, just personally, it just doesn't make sense. Like you, sure. you were elected president. How much more affirmation do you need than being voted to be the leader of the free world by your country? <laughs> sure. Michael, um, let me just just give you a few other thoughts. I've done a lot of thinking about this uh, yeah. and about 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 President Trump. Um, and again, I, I, I do so also realizing that as a person of faith, I need to pray for this guy. I mean, I I, I need to, to want him to win. And I do. I mean, I, I want him to win uh, for the yeah. sake of our of our country. Um, but some other reasons I think he's a low functioning eight. Uh, is what you just noticed, which is this profound need for attention, uh, for affirmation, the desire to be the center of things by being provocative and rebellious, right? Mm. So that's a very one-to-one eight dynamic. Uh, They want to, you know, feel power uh, by being at the the center of power, you know, Uh, and you know, for me, this raises the question. Some some Enneagram teachers believe that Donald Trump is a counterphobic six, hmm. that, that he's not really in that anger triad, but but he's in the fear triad. So a lot of this provocative, hmm. uh, aggressive behavior is uh, the result of fear. I mean, it's being driven by fear. Secondly, they say so. Uh, they would say that he's a counterphobic six. Um because uh, he wants to bring down the elite class uh, who he has perceived as being uh, false, uh, hypocritical, self-interested. And, you know, bringing down authority is another feature of the counterphobic six, you know. So, again, it's a mystery to us. We're, 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 We're really, and counterphobic sixes are often confused with eights. Um, but again, you know, who knows? We, we can only go on what we what we see. And right. uh, so I do understand what you're saying there. Um, you know, another feature, I think, of the, that low functioning eight um, is this whole thing about alternative facts hmm. uh, that that they, they'll make statements that really go against a reality. Uh, like, you know, the inauguration was the biggest in history or, right. or there was voter fraud or, or recently, you know, um, talking about the tape uh, of his remarks, uh, his crude remarks about women where he said, you know, well, maybe I didn't say those things. I mean, we have a right. tape. Movie, yeah. We have a tape. Right. You know, yep. we have a recording of it. And I think, you know, the AIDS, you know, uh, they uh, his truth, they believe their truth equal is the same thing as the objective truth, even though there may be proof to the contrary. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I think there's a through line of, of what drives these ridiculous claims. I, I think it makes him feel more powerful if he is able to act in a way that other powerful people reject. There is this sense that w- what an expression of power it is to do things that you know the golden globes were last night three hours of the most powerful people in hollywood getting up one after another rejecting him it would be one form of power to say 
wow, my views are really impacting and persuading other people of power. But it's another view of power to say, look at what I'm doing that all of these powerful people reject and they can't stop me. <laughs> like, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, it shows um, a sort of like combative form of, of leadership and power that is relative, that is judged not just on its own merits, but by how it makes other people react, which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, there, uh, you know, just in closing about on, on Trump, and I want to move on to the, the campaign and wrap up, yeah. but I think there's an impulsivity there that speaks to low-functioning eights, you know, the tweets. Uh, you know, I think this the, the emphasis on needing to be in a dominant alpha dog position, whether it's saying I've got the biggest button on my desk or uh, I, uh, you know, my famous handshake, you know, where I, I, I need to almost, you know, pull the person to the floor to make the point that, you know, that I'm in charge here. Um, that, you know, again, is is uh, not very conscious aware thinking on a part of an unhealthy eight. What were you going to say? I was just going to ask you. So last year at about this time, I was on Fox and Friends on Fox News. My book was just coming out and the interview was ending. And I said something about the 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 president's the tweets. I forget exactly. I said they were embarrassing. They were not presidential, whatever I said. And the, the interviewer said, you know, I think a lot of Americans view uh, the president's uh, tweets as a, a show of strength that they've been yearning for. And my last line of the interview was, I think that there are better ways to show strength than by tweets. Uh, all of that to say, Clearly, there's a power exuded by saying my my button's bigger than yours. Like, like, clearly, that's a display of power. But I would look at that. And I think a lot of people would look at that as actually a show of desperation, a show of just this um, this grasping and this sort of um, it actually exposes a, a weakness. I think if many people could put themselves in Donald Trump's shoes as the president of the United States who needs to still tweet about Rosie O'Donnell, that that isn't a show of strength, that that's a show of weakness to the low performing eight. Does that just not sort of come across their mind that these impulsive shows are actually signs of, of weakness? <laughs> you know, I don't I think people when they are in the trance of their personality, when, when they are asleep to who they are, I think. They don't know a lot about themselves. <laughs> and eights are notoriously not self-reflective. Mm. Um, they're, they're people in the instinctual triad and the gut triad. These are people who shoot from the lip and from the hip all the time. And I think what you're seeing there is the impulsivity. You're seeing also that the, the deadly sin of lust, this excess, excessive behavior, mm. and, and also, you know, making uh, claims that are, uh, uh, you know, dangerous. Uh, it's also that that eights in that it, it, it sort of need for immediate, intense engagement with other people, uh, and of course that can be good if it's in a healthy person. If it's not, uh, and you're you're doing it with the uh, someone like the head of North Korea, it's frightening. Yeah, if mm. it's you know, it, it can be frightening. Um, mm. I I also think that. Uh, you know, again, all, you know, this authoritarianism, this sort of autocratic leadership style, not listening to others, but, you know, doing what he wants, uh, not able to have empathy for other people. 
I mean, gosh, there's so much there that indicates uh, an unhealthy eight. So anyway, that's 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 all my take on on all this stuff. And uh, but I do want to talk about the election and I want to talk about just just closing. I want I want you to tell me why you think Donald Trump got elected. And I want you to tell me why you think our politics are so incendiary right now. Well, I should just say after two term presidencies, the person elected to replace a two term president is usually a reaction to that presidency. And so as Obama was this uh, sort of hyper rational, cool, collected, sort of always had the perfect thing to say, which to a lot of people was just like annoying and lecturing. Donald Trump is a a reaction to that. I think another big aspect of uh, Donald Trump's victory was his willingness to tell a compelling story that was clear, um, that had clear enemies. And he accelerated and increased the pressure that a lot of Americans were feeling and offered himself as the only way out. So through his rhetoric, he actually built up insecurity, fear, um, a sense that things were not going in the right direction, which polls show now the vast majority of Americans have thought for a while now that America is on the wrong track, which usually wasn't the story. Usually Americans have been optimistic people. But uh, uh, in, in this century, particularly since 9-11, uh, a majority of Americans think think the country is on the wrong track. Um he affirmed their view. <laughs> he, he said, "Yeah, th- things have gone. Uh, things are going bad. And and if you don't elect me, we may never be able to reverse it. We may never. We we may be stuck in a rut we can't get out of." And that was a powerful message. And then again, you know, as we opened up the conversation, I think he um, he took seriously a lot of the rhetorical promises that were made in politics by people who didn't necessarily take them seriously. So there have been a lot of politicians who have run for office saying that they're going to shake things up. (laughs) Um, But Donald Trump really meant it. Now, I'm not trying to say that he's cleaned up Washington. You know, in our political rhetoric, you know, the sense that we want politicians to be authentic. We want them to stop playing nice. We want them to get things done like he is someone who has acted on those in visceral ways that previously they were those ideas were appealed to and what were still very traditional sort of within the bounds of normal politics okay so um, all right so let me ask you okay so you, you just i mean they gave us a good answer as to why you think donald trump won why do you yeah. think hillary clinton lost yeah there were a lot of factors um in her loss there were the circumstantial. And so, you know, maybe if the Comey letter doesn't come out, maybe that swings enough votes. I think there were definitely issues of racism and misogyny and things that were in some ways out of her control. That's another bucket of issues, sort of the sociological and cultural uh, that fed into the process. But I think she bears and her campaign bears significant burden for not identifying what Trump was doing. So if Trump's aim was to build up pressure and offer himself as the only way out, 
Hillary Clinton's strategy seemed tailor-made to affirm the message Donald Trump was sending. If Donald Trump was trying to convince enough voters, uh, you know, half of the country, even though he didn't win the popular vote, if, if he was trying to appeal to a very particular set of voters by saying, I'm the only one who cares uh, and I'm the only one who will help you, Hillary Clinton, by in some ways pursuing a campaign strategy that in some ways it was a mirror of Trump's campaign strategy, tended to affirm his message that what we knew on November 9th or, or what we knew would happen on November 9th uh, we didn't know who would be president. What we did know is that whoever won the election, so November 9th being the day after the election, we knew that whoever won the election, uh, that result was going to leave half of the country feeling like they no longer had a place in their country. If I was going to summarize why Hillary Clinton lost, it was because she left too many voters feeling like they wouldn't have a place in their own country if she had won. Okay, so uh, this is great. I I observed a dynamic uh, in that election, and I saw it in the debates, and that I think is instructive. If Donald Trump is an eight, there he was pacing back and forth behind her. And as I recall, and I've seen some tapes of it or recordings of it, she's sitting there smiling. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, now, here's I think Hillary Clinton's a one. And I could give a lot of reasons for this, but but there's an example of what we say about ones, which is when they have a feeling, particularly anger, it's always being stuffed. <laughs> and what they do is when they feel something like anger, which they deem to be inappropriate and not good, they stuff it and bring up the opposite feeling as uh as an antidote to it right to be good so there's this gracious you know smiling now you know she probably wanted to kill him right and she's stuffing it down and she's stuffing down feelings which is why i think voters experienced her as not being authentic not being real because she she did have all these feelings you know not just anger but many others on the campaign that kept getting stuffed down and then she would bring up the opposite right and i think that left people feeling a little bit like Gosh, uh, she being real. I, I, I also think that she probably, again, my my take, I think Jimmy Carter was a one. And I think that she would probably have been no more successful than he was. Now, this is just a personal opinion, right? Because ones are so obsessed with getting the small little details right that she would have been trapped in the weeds of policy and maybe have missed a lot of big picture things. And frankly there was a part of her character as a maybe a very not very self-aware one that you always felt like when she spoke that she was wagging a finger at you for not doing enough for not being good you, do you know what i'm saying like there was always this sense that you're being a little lectured to mm. and again this is one stuff that's not very healthy and and i think people reacted to that uh yeah. in, in a not so favorable way um yeah. and so anyhow that's my thought on that i also think by the way that sixes are the, the sort of the dominant number in culture. We think there are more sixes than any other type. Mm. These are people who need to feel safe and secure. That's their driving underlying motivation. So when a guy stands up and says, I am the yeah. only person who can keep you safe. That's right. Uh, who, you know, uh, aggravates uh, and adrenalizes anxiety and fear of, of uh, you know, immigrants, of, you know, different situations or scenarios worst case scenarios that we need to be ready for and i'm the only one who can help you get ready that would really appeal to a gigantic swath of people also people who are resentful that they've not been heard 
uh, that uh, an elitist class has spoken down to them. I think they have a point, um, honestly. And that feel that cultural shifts have gone too fast. They can't absorb them this quickly. Yeah. Uh, these are things that would make sixes anxious and want an authority figure that they could tether their security and safety to. So I guess I mean, all I'm saying is that he played it. He played it wonderfully. I mean, you got to yeah. give him that. You know, he played yeah. that incredibly well. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think it's important to say, and I think to observe these things is is not to validate them. And so, and so when I say that this pressure was building up. And he offered himself as the only way. I, I could and, and I will make the argument that politics is not ultimate and politics is not a self-contained sort of environment. Like my argument would be like people should not be it's investing too much <laughs> uh, value in the presidency <laughs> and in what Donald Trump could have done to grant his description of the predicament as he set it out. <laughs> in other words, his, his argument should not have been as appealing as it was, but given where voters were and how it played out, it worked, it was effective, it appealed to real emotions and, and perspectives, but you and, and I can say all those things, and, and I just want to be clear, I think that there were better ways to look at the election than than through that prism of what is going to happen to me personally in in a sort of uh, in a in an embattled way if this election doesn't 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 go my way. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to close up here, uh, but because but I could go on for a long time. I, I want to say this, and I I think you you agree. Um. I uh, my observations about Donald Trump. I'm, I'm speaking as a from through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm speaking as a therapist. I I want to make sure everyone knows. I don't know if Hillary Clinton's a one. I don't I don't know if Bill Clinton's a three or a nine. I don't I don't know if uh, Obama is a nine with a one wing. I don't know if Michelle or Hillary are one. You know, so I could go on and on. Everything I've said is purely opinion. It is speculative. I cannot see their internal motivations. But I do think it's legitimate to have this conversation. I may not have this conversation about other people this in depth. But I think when we're talking about the president of the United States and wanting to understand who he is, uh, why our country is where it is, that that it's fair to begin to just to think aloud what is happening here and what does it mean? Uh, I think we just have to hold it with a certain degree of humility that I don't know if this is true, but I think it's important to think about it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think um, it is much more dangerous to to act as if our politicians are somehow uh, immune to the effects of personality and the effects of that, that they're uh, completely sort of uh, rational, sort of robotic figures. Uh, I think we've seen in history that that assumption is more dangerous than than thinking of these things with with humility, but but also, you know, with the gravity that they, they deserve. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for for being with us, uh, for taking the time. I want to remind uh, all of our our listeners that your book, Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America, comes out in paperback tomorrow. That's wonderful. 
It does. January 9th. I'm very excited about it. It includes uh, a new afterword from me. Um, you know, my book came out, the first edition came out three days before the inaugural. And so the book is very relevant to the Trump era and sort of where we're in. But um, I, in the afterward, I'm able to make a, quite a bit of that more explicit. And I offer a particular suggestion for how we as citizens ought to engage politics in this polarized environment that I hope will be helpful uh, for folks. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are so appreciative, again, for your support uh, for this content, your financial backing of it. I want to encourage you to jump onto patreon.com forward slash typology and continue to make this show possible so we can get to hear from awesome people like uh, Michael. Again, Michael, thanks. It was great to be on. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. And until next week, everybody, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. <laughs> <laughs>